Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. doesn't specifically say don't do it it just says this is an ethical decision and if you make it these are the things that you should consider to be honest we received actually a lot of gratitude because filmmakers were feeling pressured to go out there but in their gut feeling like it wasn't safe yeah that they felt like this gave them some at least information and guidance where they could kind of push back a little bit really looking at everything much more surgically because I am asking people to be exposed. You know, I take that very, very seriously. If, if, it's, if it's a scene that's probably not likely going to make it, we're not filming it. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 136. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of documentary film and the Documentary Life podcast. So about two months ago, I began working again. This after nine weeks of zero work during the COVID shutdown. So has been the state of things in the film and television industry here in the U.S., as well as I'm sure in many other parts of the world. And it continues to be, as productions very slowly begin to happen again, albeit in an entirely new and different COVID world, where so much is different now on film productions. Crews are half size. PPE protocol is in place. Distancing is happening on sets. Tests are being given prior to and after some productions. In fact, the last job I was on, I was shooting an interview for an upcoming episode in PBS's American Masters series. The production company is based out of New York, but hired the small crew here in Portland, Oregon, where the interview subject was based. They didn't want to travel out here amidst this pandemic thing and instead had adopted a pretty straightforward way of conducting the interview via Zoom while my small crew made it happen here in Portland. It was a little bit of a surreal experience, although one that has already become pretty commonplace in the industry. Two months ago, I also began work on a new documentary project. At the moment, the crew size only totals two. Depending on what's being filmed, we might bring a sound person in for a day, but it's generally just my partner and I making the film. Now, as one might imagine, there are some luxuries not afforded most of us independent documentary filmmakers. We don't have the budgets or resources that would allow us some of the precautions that a budgeted commercial might have. But it doesn't mean that we can't be doing everything possible to protect ourselves and our crew. And I'm about to list out some of those things that can help you as you make your way out into this new world and either continue work on your documentaries or begin work on a new project. But before I do this, I really want to stress that I am in no way telling you that it is safe to be out there filming. Because the truth is, it is not safe. And we cannot fully safeguard our crews, our subjects, our families. Make no mistake about it. If you are out there or indoors working with people, you are putting yourself and others at risk. There's just no way around that. In fact, just three months ago, one of the industry's most recognized institutions, IDA, issued a statement basically stating that they could not, in good conscience, encourage documentary filmmakers to be out filming during a pandemic. And we'll talk with Carrie Lozano, who wrote that statement as part of our upcoming discussion on the ethics of filming during a pandemic coming up after this segment. So please, 
If you are uncomfortable in any way with filming during this time, I support you. We all do. It is a decision that we all are having to make for ourselves right now. And I know people that I have worked with for years who have chosen to not work at all. And because the reality is that while many are choosing not to film right now, conversely, a number of us are. And like I said, that does include myself. So I'd like to share some of the things that have both worked and not worked for me during this time. Perhaps they'll be able to help you as well. So you probably won't be surprised to hear that from day one, I've been wearing a mask, gloves, and bringing hand sanitizer to shoots. This is probably a no-brainer at this point, but it is something that we can all be doing. And really, this is like the bare minimum, isn't it? You wouldn't be allowed anywhere near a commercial set without these. Why would documentary be any different, right? I've also been bringing heavy-duty disinfectant wipes. And if you can, bring a few of each of these things. For one, you can pass them out to anyone who needs them. Although, let's hope anyone working with you is sensible enough to show up with these things themselves. And secondly, something like masks and gloves can and do rip, so it, it's good to have backups. It's also a good idea to bring your own water bottle, snacks, and maybe even meals. That way you can ensure that no one outside of yourself is handling any of your food or drink. And speaking of handling, at the moment, I am not letting anyone else touch my gear. This includes camera, lenses, lighting gear. The only one to touch my gear is me. And secretly, I wish that had always been this way. <laughs> now, sound gear is a little bit different. Because unless you have a sound person on set, you are most likely going to have to figure out the best, safest way to achieve that sound. And if, say, you're loving a subject, someone other than yourself is most likely going to be handling that lav mic. What we've been doing on our new project is having the chief subject place the lapel mic on themselves. So we're instructing the lav placement from a safe distance from the subject. And so far, that's worked pretty well. And additionally, if it makes sense, you can simply leave the lav with your subject for however many shoots that you plan on doing and simply have them bring it to and from shoots. Of course, a number of us might not have that kind of luxury. We might have another shoot coming up. In this case, make sure to handle the lav with gloves and wipe it down with the aforementioned disinfectant wipes. And maybe even leave the lav outside of any protective gear for a few days or even a week or two if that's at all possible, if you won't be needing it before then. I even do this with the boom mic that is attached to my camera. Not only that, but I am fully wiping down my camera and every part of every piece of gear that is being used that day. Preferably, I'm doing this while I'm on set. That way, I'm not packing it into any gear bags before disinfecting anything. At the very least, I am cleaning all of my gear when I get home. And this is happening out on the front porch. Before I go inside, I am cleaning everything. And then once I get into the front door, I take off all of my clothes and head straight to the shower. No hugs and kisses for the kids when daddy gets back home. Just straight to the bathroom for a full-on disinfectant session, if you will. Now, another thing that you can do to ensure best opportunity for safety is to shoot outside whenever possible. The circulation of air, as we have come to learn, is a really good thing, especially right now in the summertime in the heat and sunshine. And when you're indoors, make sure to maintain distance and if possible, have windows open. One of the first commercial shoots that I was on, in hindsight, we were not exactly operating in the safest environment. For two interviews, we were in a very small space. 
we were in a very small room. And including the interviewee, there were a total of five people in this tiny room. And the person conducting the interview did so without a mask, kind of in solidarity with the subjects who had chosen not to wear masks. And for sound purposes, all windows were shut and air ventilation was turned off. Yeah, now, I mean, now looking back, that sounds like a potential nightmare scenario, right? Uh, probably not the best, most informed way to be conducting the interview. And certainly with what we know now, like I said, we could have done some things differently. And that's the thing, isn't it? We don't really know the absolute surest way to do any of this. The information that we're receiving has been changing since day one. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that people in the U.S. weren't even wearing masks. Oh wait, there are still people not wearing masks here and governors refusing to make mask wearing in public a mandatory thing. Anyhow, my point is that we all need to continue to do our due diligence in discovering best practices for making our documentary films while we're out there making them in this time of COVID. Now what about you, Doc Lifer? How are you feeling these days about being out there working on your docs? Are you out there working on your documentary project? If so, what are some safety protocol that you are employing? Or are you perhaps staying away from it all and seeing how this is all going to shake out, you know, before getting back out into the world and shooting on your project? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this whole thing. And a great way that you can do this is to join me over to the D Word, where I currently host one of their topic forums, the Documentary Life Podcast Forum. It's a great way to continue on with conversations that we've only really just begun here on the program. So get your voice heard and pick up some tips and suggestions from other doc filmmakers by heading over to d-word.com. As we continue with today's episode, we're going to explore even further protocols for filming documentaries nowadays, as well as looking into the ethics of shooting documentary films during a pandemic. My conversations with both journalist and documentary filmmaker Carrie Lozano and Academy Award-nominated documentary director Heidi Ewing coming up next here on The Documentary Life. So you've got a great idea for a documentary film. Awesome. I'd love to hear about it, but I don't have a ton of time. Can you tell me about it in 30 seconds or less? Oh, you don't quite have your pitch down yet. Okay, that's fine. What's your website where I can find more information? Maybe a press kit I can take a look at. You don't have one. Well, have you thought about how you might raise some funds to help with the costs of making films? They can be expensive, right? You haven't. Okay, maybe just tell me about your audience. Who's going to want to see your film? Who will you be marketing it to? You don't know this either. Okay, then I'm going to assume you haven't thought about how you'll be getting your film out into the world then, right? I think I see what's going on here. I was once in your shoes. A great idea for a doc. Camera in one hand, a boom mic in the other. But other than that, not much other than a whole lot of excitement and gumption. And that's great. You'll need all of that. But you'll also need a heck of a lot more if you're looking to make the kind of documentary film that you can be proud of. The kind that people will want to see and will impact them. The kind that won't break the bank while you're making it. And dare I say, you might even make some money from. You need support, and we've got you covered. We built the Documentary Academy with you in mind. We've got all the resources you need to make a successful documentary film you can be proud of. Come and enroll at thedocumentarylife.com academy, and let's turn that doc idea into a reality.
Carrie Lozano is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and journalist. Previously, Ms. Lozano was an editorial consultant for filmmakers and media organizations and led the Bay Area Video Coalition's National Media Maker Fellowship. She was also executive producer for documentaries at Al Jazeera America. She is a graduate of UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism, where she was also a postgraduate fellow at the Investigative Reporting Program. Currently, she is a lecturer at the Graduate School of Journalism and overseer at the Investigative Reporting Program. She is also the director of the International Documentary Association's New Enterprise Documentary Fund. First and foremost, Carrie, welcome to The Documentary Life. I'm very excited to be having this conversation with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. What's very appealing about this conversation for, for me and I think for our listeners is that you come from a background which embraces both journalism as well as documentary filmmaking. Can you tell us a little bit about that background and uh, really how you came to where you are now today, kind of still working in both in both areas fully? Right. Thank you so much. Um, it, for a long time, I just thought that I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. But in the last, I would say, five or six years, those worlds have merged um, in a really interesting way. And so initially I started off in independent documentary film with my first film, uh, The Weather Underground. In yeah, great film, by the way. Thank you. Great and, um, you know, and I love independent filmmaking. I love artistic yeah. filmmaking. It's just really storytelling is kind of at the heart of everything yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I did attend the Graduate School of Journalism and kind of became an accidental investigative reporter. It wasn't necessarily something I... I intended to do, it's just mm. the type of storytelling that appeals to me in a lot of ways. Um, and so I've spent the last, uh, you know, 17 years straddling both of those worlds yeah. and then in the last five or six, really able to bring in journalistic practice and creative documentary storytelling and, and work on those things simultaneously. Excellent. So a big part of our conversation, which of course we'll get into right now, is um, is really around this idea of shooting documentary films uh, during this time, during a pandemic. Uh, a few months ago, uh, I think it was the end of April, um, you were you were you penned an article, um, really a statement from IDA called The Ethics of Documentary Production in a Pandemic. How and, and why were you first approached to write that article? So uh, as you know, I run the Enterprise Documentary Fund there. And uh, for, you know, for weeks, filmmakers were coming to us and asking for specific guidance. Yeah. Can I shoot? How can I do it safely? What are the guidelines? When will you publish them? And internally, yeah. we were really grappling with that question. Simultaneously, I was at the Graduate School of Journalism. We were working on a reporting project with the New York Times and other publications and hearing from public health officials who really did not have, to be totally honest, that great of guidance. It was conflicting guidance. Um, and we oh, were yeah. sending students out here and there. But, you know, yeah. when you go out for news gathering purposes, it's very brief. Sometimes it's just minutes, literally. Um, and you can yeah. kind of control how you interface with people. With documentary filmmaking, as we know, it's a totally different ball game. Um, even an interview at best is an hour, two hours, three hours. Right. Right? Right. It's, it's right. a lengthy interaction. So at IDA, we really felt like there was no such guidance that we couldn't be sure that this this illness um, was so unknown mm. that we did not feel comfortable issuing specific guidance. And then 
in the newsroom, what that becomes is an ethical discussion. If you don't know, how do you make a decision? Yeah. And we were also hearing from filmmakers who said, well, I shot in the Ebola crisis or I've been to Iraq. And, and you of know, course. from my perspective, it was coming from Al Jazeera and, and running teams there. It was like, these are this is not the same thing. And we mm. wanted to be really clear that there are distinctions between the hostile environment reporting that we've done in the past and this particular virus. And, and that has worn out to be true and it continues to be true. Let's further examine that because I think that's a, that's a, a, an important distinction that, that, that should be made and that is, uh, that is made in this particular article. You make a clear distinction between journalists and documentary filmmakers. Talk to us about some of these, uh, some of this distinction. What are some of the major differences you, you see between these two entities? I mean, the big one, as you well know, is that most journalists who are doing this type of reporting work for large organizations or work for some organization. Yeah. Those or they have salaries, they have health insurance, uh, the organizations have you know other types of insurance, they might have special equipment and access yeah. to equipment. So that's the first thing is that we know that our filmmakers are mostly freelancers, they're mostly individual, you know, oh, yeah. sole proprietors, and that the risks that they're taking are their personal risks beyond mm. just their health, their actual financial risks. Um, and so that that is always to me a starting point when I think about the difference between a newsroom and freelance independent filmmakers is that at yeah. least there's an infrastructure. Um, so there's that. There, yeah. as we mentioned, there's the kind of the, the nature of the the material gathering, which in news news world is very brief versus documentary yeah. filmmaking. But also, Which is very I, immersive. <laughs> very immersive. But also I was talking to um, my colleagues uh, in other newsrooms at Mother Jones, at ProPublica, mm. at Frontline, and, you know, where they could uh, keep people in place, they did. And there were plenty of newsrooms who probably to this day have not sent reporters out or have done so on a mm. very, very limited basis. So that's kind of a signal to me that if they're not mm. doing it, maybe we need to really think about whether we should be doing it as filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I come from a journalism background initially. Uh, and as a documentary filmmaker, I just I just have always felt like I've always seen myself as a journalist. Mm -hmm. I feel like more and more there there is becoming a distinction between what is a journalist what is a documentary filmmaker? And it's a fascinating conversation for me because, again, I feel like so much of what I do in my doc filmmaking, while not super hardcore investigative, some of the earlier, earlier stuff was, I just, I guess I, I had, I, maybe I just had such a broad idea of what journalism and documentary filmmaking was about, which is like, go out, gather information, gather facts, um, Although the biggest difference is, like we said, immersing yourself um, as a doc filmmaker, and I just, I just really kind of lump them together, and I'm seeing that um, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Well, I mean, we certainly think there's overlap, and you know, I teach documentary yeah. at the graduate school of journalism, right? right. Um, and our funds at IDA are specifically about helping independent filmmakers with their journalistic practice. Yeah. But I think it's filmmakers who um, where the debate lies, right? And we've been having this debate, I would say, for the better part of a decade. And there are yeah. plenty of filmmakers, even that we work with, who will say, "I am not a journalist who just yeah. don't see themselves that way yeah. and don't have any journalism background." So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I might look at them and say, yeah, I kind of think you are. And they might say, no, I just don't mm. think I am. Yeah. I'm an artist. I'm a storyteller. I'm an activist. I'm an advocate. Mm. So, you know, to me, those distinctions in some ways are 
are more theoretical. And what I'm interested in is, are you protected? You know, can we help you with your news gathering? Can we yeah. ensure your safety in any way? Do you have access to legal counsel? And can we give you the tools that journalists use all the time? I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that there are a number, and I'm sure you're talking with these people, that there are a number of documentary filmmakers who take who took exception to this article, right? Or take exception to anyone telling them what the ethics of their filming during a pandemic is. Um, and in fact, they're seeing this maybe as, as a pretty crucial time to be out and putting a lens to what may be the biggest story of most of our lives. What are you saying to that documentary filmmaker who says, look, why are you dictating what the ethics are and how are you telling me that I should or shouldn't be out here telling that story? Because I'm sure you're having these conversations for the past couple of months at least. Yeah, we're having a lot of the conversations. You know, we didn't receive a lot of pushback to the article because the article doesn't specifically say, don't do it. It just mm. says, this is an ethical decision. And if you make yeah. it, these are the things that you should consider. Yeah. I mean, I think we have come some way from where we were a few months ago. I think we know that if you're outdoors and you're masked and you're protected, um, maybe it's a safer place to shoot if you keep mm. it brief. I know that there are some filmmakers I've heard who are in quarantine with their documentary subjects. And that's a, that's wow. a whole other discussion. Wow. There are plenty of crews <laughs> who are sending out very limited crews or who yeah. are um, sending packages to their subjects to, to yeah. film themselves or yeah. kind of directing them. So I, you know, I think we never said, don't do it. Just mm. these are the considerations. And there have certainly been a lot of other, you know, Doc Society and Sundance put out a whole other document about yeah. the considerations. Um, we've been looking at the, you know, SAGS guidelines for um, yeah. fiction filming, right? And, yeah. and the safety and security there. So, um, to be honest, we didn't. We received actually a lot of gratitude because filmmakers mm. were feeling pressured to go out there, but in their gut, feeling like it wasn't safe. And wasn't then, safe. Yeah. Yeah, that they felt like this this gave them um, some some at least um, information and guidance where they yeah. could kind of push back a little bit. And there are plenty of DPs who are just not who are not filming at all and refusing to. Film oh yeah. Them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sound people as well. Um, the article was released, uh, I believe, April 27th, a couple of months ago at this point, just over a couple of months ago. Has IDAs or your position, uh, has it changed at all since that time? Has it evolved or do you feel the same way or do you feel as strongly then as, as maybe you do now? And do you anticipate it evolving as we learn more about the pandemic? Yeah, a couple of things happened. Yeah. I mean, we had a, a major uprising uh, for racial yeah. justice and black lives. And I think that changed a conversation, which was, yeah. you know, um, the calculus of like, do you have to be out there? Who should be out there? This is a historic moment. And there are moments, and this is a journalistic point of view, where yeah. um, the story outweighs the risks. And yeah. and that's one of those moments. That's yeah. clear, right? That is yeah, just yeah. clear as a bell. So there was that. And I think we made, you know, in, in lots of public discussions and debates, we made some concessions about that, that that yeah. story warranted telling. Um, the other thing that we did was we joined up with Witness, uh, which is a human rights organization, to just put out resources. There are tons of resources. We don't feel like we have to duplicate what the field is doing. So there are yeah. lots of incredible journalistic resources, yeah. uh, resources coming out of the documentary field, coming out of the fiction space. And yeah. so we have collated those and said, OK, if you're going to go out there, this is the best of what we know. Yeah. Um, you know, I do feel that the 
the illness is out there. We, we had a, a horrific federal response. Um, yeah. It's now out of control. And that we do, I still stand by the article, which is yeah. we have an ethical responsibility to protect the public, if not ourselves and our subjects and our families, the public at large, and to get a handle on this thing so that we don't overrun our hospitals and medical workers. Carrie, what have we missed, if anything, that you feel like you would want documentary filmmakers to know? I mean, I think one of the things that the drum that I keep beating and, and one of the differences with journalism newsrooms is that if something happens out in the field, and eventually it will, yeah, uh, yeah. we don't know what the liabilities are. We yeah. don't, it's still not clear how insurance policies are going to operate in this yeah. environment. And they're saying that they don't actually oh, yeah. necessarily know. Um, and most filmmakers don't have the resources to adequately respond to a situation. When so happens, that includes right. getting everybody tested. That includes yeah. quarantining everybody separately, um, perhaps getting long-term medical care, perhaps long-term disability. And so I just want to really be clear that there are a lot of things we don't know. Those things will happen. I'm certain of it. Um, but we don't know what the financial and real repercussions of that will be on our field and on us as individuals. Carrie, what a, what a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Uh, we'll go ahead and post a link to, to your article, The Ethics of Documentary Production in a Pandemic. We'll go ahead and post a link to that in our show notes. Carrie, thank you so much for having this conversation. It's obviously a very important one to be having. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to The Documentary Life, Carrie. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm speaking today with the co-owner of New York's Loki Films, Heidi Ewing. She is the co-director of Jesus Camp, which was an Oscar nominee, The Boys of Baraka, an Emmy nominee, 12th in Delaware, a Peabody winner, and Detropia, both a Sundance and Emmy winner. Heidi Ewing, welcome to the Documentary Life podcast. Very excited to have you join us today. Thank you for having me. So Heidi, our main topic that we want to discuss today is about this idea of shooting uh, during a pandemic. It's an important conversation to be having for documentary filmmakers, and that's why we have you on today. I understand you have been shooting during this time. Is that correct? Yes. Let's go back a few months ago, Heidi. People had been reaching out in particular to IDA looking for some guidance about shooting during this time of COVID. Um they felt that there was a need to issue something, they being IDA. And of course, Carrie Lozano wrote the known article at this point, basically describing uh, what she felt were the ethics of shooting during a pandemic. In the article, there's a clear distinction made between journalists and documentary filmmakers. The idea presented by Carrie that journalists are going out for very brief coverings of news stories, generally in controlled, uh, somewhat controlled environments. Doc filmmakers, on the, other, on the other hand, are about immersion, as we know, spending time with and near our subjects, oftentimes in quite uncontrollable settings. Journalists often work for corporations. They have sal salaries, health insurance, special protective equipment. We doc filmmakers are often freelancers, sole proprietors, and the risk that, that we're taking is a bit more personal risks, health and financial. Heidi, do you see, first of all, is there a difference in your mind between a documentary filmmaker and journalist? It's a very, very fine line. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't think there's as, as big of a difference as you just laid out there between yeah. what we do and what, what, you know, official journalists do. I mean, you know, um, 
it's a very, very similar profession in a lot, in a lot of ways. I think that journalism is, is considered an essential service. And um, so is, I think I believe what we do as documentary filmmakers is also essential. Um, I think we is, is a burden that's laid upon us in some ways, a burden that we accept, you know, mostly joyfully yeah. to document history and document um, wrongdoing and to open the eyes of people in good moments and bad moments. And I think um, it's a totally personal decision whether or not a filmmaker um, wants to, you know, take that risk of leaving their home uh, to film. Uh, and I don't judge anybody for um, not doing it and, and choosing to sort of sit this one out. Um, I happen to be making a film with Rachel Grady for HBO right now on endangered journalists around the world. Mm -hmm. A film that we began long before COVID. Wow. And all of our characters in Mexico, Brazil, India, and the United States um, are now mostly turned 100% towards COVID and are covering it. They are, uh, they've been asked by their new or news organizations to leave their homes and to cover the virus. Yeah. Uh, testing centers, uh, also emergence of the Black Lives Matter protests um, that converge with COVID. So they're covering the, the, the news of the day and they are chancing mm -hmm. and they are subjects. And um, we are chancing it as well to follow them doing their job. Uh, and I think it's important that people see what journalists actually do, yeah. uh, that they put themselves in the line of the fire. And for me as a filmmaker, covering these people yeah. to stay home and say, I'm not going to follow what they're doing anymore. Um, you know, we chose to continue. Now we didn't film, uh, you know, in March and April yeah. in the United States. So we did, uh, you know, we, we sort of, when it was at its peak, we didn't send anybody out, uh, including ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we don't, you know, we won't send anybody out in the United States here if, if, if we're not, you know, mostly with, with them, Rachel yeah. and myself, yeah. my producer. So um, we didn't, you know, we didn't like film all through the worst of it, you know, to say the least. But, yeah. you know, our characters in the United States are in Florida. Oh, wow. um, so that that's where we're filming. And so, of wow. course... Uh, they're in the middle of it right now and they're covering it. So, you know, listen, um, we take every precaution. I provide um, the PPE. Uh, we have testing before and after shoots. We have a protocol of temperature taking, yeah. uh, sanitizing. Uh, characters put on their own microphones that have been sanitized. We tell them at a distance how to do it. We film mostly long lens using, uh, we, we already favor the 70 to 200. Uh, we make voyeuristic films. We shoot through windows, through screens, behind, uh, you know, trees. We have a very sort of uh, observational voyeuristic style anyway. Yeah. Um, so we are mostly at a distance from our subjects, at a great distance. Uh, again, like I said, the, you know, we, we don't have a sound person on location right okay. now. They're miking themselves. Um, you know, our DPs have health insurance. We have health insurance. Um, we've provided health insurance to our full-time employees who are in the, in the field at all. Um, you know, you, we take every precaution. Now, is it foolproof? Is it foolproof? We know that it's not. Yeah. Is, you know, is it safer to stay home and not go out? Yes. Right. So these are all, these are all true things. Um, we believe that it's a very important subject matter. It's a very difficult and 
threat. Uh, it's a time where j journalism is being threatened around the world. Right. We're shooting in democracies where um, journalism itself is under attack. And I think it's very, very important to capture this moment. So we've chosen to continue to shoot um, with every single precaution that we know how to take, mm -hmm. uh, including our own tests, test kits, yeah. um, that are rapid, you know, rapid return and, and all of that. So um, is it, are we taking a risk? Yes. Do we yeah. feel everyone who's working on the project feel that it's worth it? Yes. So, I mean, you guys in some ways had already plenty of practice doing this, certainly stylistically with some of your films, how you were shooting and then working together with journalists in a way, uh, it almost feels like not that you didn't have a choice, but how were you going to, the fact that you were covering journalists in dangerous places in the world already how it's almost like how could you possibly now during a time of COVID say you know what you guys keep doing what you're doing but we're going to go over here and maybe pause for a while or like film yourself or like we'll yeah. zoom at the end of your harrowing day and you can tell us how it was it yeah. felt inauthentic yeah uh it felt wrong for us to do that so the choice was either give the project up shelve the project yeah or continue and film right so that was those were our two choices yeah. And it wouldn't make much sense to catch up with them when everything's fine and dandy and continue to pick up because they're in danger now. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, but, you know, truthfully, we're, we are, we're also filming a series of shorts right now that are not about danger, endangered journalists. Yeah. Um, and uh, we are finding a way to do that. Now with that project, we're doing remote interviews that are very complicated to set up. Yeah. Uh, we're filming in other countries as well. We're doing animation. Um, we're doing all kinds of inventive ways to film people in their homes without going into their homes. Right, right. Uh, uh, there's like drones that can hover outside windows. There's ladders. Yeah. There's, you know, <laughs> and it's always with the permission and the, you know, the full consent and interest of the of the person. But in that case, you know, um, we're we're taking all same precautions. Yeah. Yeah. We're also trying to get you know a little bit clever with sort of animated ways to to show their experience. It's a series on mental illness. Yeah. So, you know, that, that one we're treating a little bit differently. Yeah. Heidi, I have to ask you, um, as a fellow documentary filmmaker, when IDA issued this idea of the ethics of a documentary filmmaker shooting during a, during a pandemic, how do you feel about an organization coming out? And while they certainly didn't directly say you cannot or, or you should not be filming during this time, but they certainly say, look, it's an ethical decision that you need to be aware of. What does that mean for you as a doc filmmaker? Well, I think anyone with experience in the field understands that um, making documentaries, period, is a series, is nothing but a series of ethical decisions <laughs> that you make every single day. How much is the camera changing the outcome? I mean, this is like the, the you know, the eternal Errol Morris examination. Um, who's in the power position? Yeah. You know, the, you know it's, it, it's uh, you have a lot of power, you know, when you're a filmmaker and you, you know, you can interpret someone's life um, the way that you choose to. Yeah. And that's an ethical decision. Am I, am I in, in editing this, in, in editing this film down to two hours or an hour and a half? Right. Have, maintain the essence and the truth of this person yes or no yeah um if a character says are you gonna are you gonna show in your film like the worst moment of your character on right. the worst <laughs> thing the one thing that they've never said before and yeah. it's uh, like, 
what is your responsibility in representing a person? These are all ethical considerations. Um, This is yet another ethical question and decision that filmmakers have to make. Um, I, you know, I, I the decision or to to, to issue this this uh, statement. I mean, you know, I think that they're it's all goodwill, and they they couldn't very well tell everyone to just go out and shoot, and they'll be all fine. Right. You know, I think if you don't have resources, you can't afford to protect your crew, mm. and um, you know, you're you're staying in places that aren't haven't been you know sanitized or cleaned or empty for multiple days if you i mean a lot of it's about resources yeah i'm lucky enough right now to have resources in a way that so many doc filmmakers don't that's right and i think that you know we have to take that into consideration and i think that the idea probably was thinking about you know um a lot of times you go out on a wing and a prayer especially when you don't have funding or you're making first or second film yeah and you know it, it, it can it could be more dangerous slightly for them to go out yeah. um you know i i don't know i mean you know we, again i'm using all the resources i have yeah uh, to get ppe you know we have the right equipment to stay far away yeah. you know like i can do these things because i have resources right now on these projects so yeah. i i don't really blame them for coming out with that um I don't agree that nobody should be filming. Obviously, if I agreed with that, I wouldn't be filming. We wouldn't be shooting. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that they're doing it with, they've made the statement with very positive intentions to protect our community. And I don't resent that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you can you share something that's unique maybe about the process of filming or the stories that you're telling that maybe are directly tied into shooting during this time? I'll tell you, we... we yeah. um, you know, we do observational cinema, direct right. cinema. Um, I don't do historical films. We've done one biography. We probably won't do another. Um, it was, you know, with historical footage. It was a, it was about Norman Lear, and we wanted to do right. it. Um, but that's just not our canon. Um, and we're getting a lot of requests right now to do archival-based films. and uh, films, uh, yeah. Because, obviously, it's mostly editing, and, and no one has to go into the field. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we, we believe in, you know, direct cinema. So I'll tell you, it's very, very difficult to, um, to get the emotions when people are wearing masks and people mm-hmm. are wearing masks doing their job. So our journalists are wearing masks and they are out and about, they're in the field and we're all wearing masks and we're all wearing the gloves and the goggles and the thing. Yeah. And so what's become interesting is that the interview where the person is without a mask because we're at a great distance, um, and we've got windows open or we're shooting outdoors. Our, most of our subjects prefer to take the mask off oh, as yeah. long as we're not near them. Yeah. And we, of course, keep all of our masks on and everything. But the interview has become way more important because you really feel the expression and you're, you're missing the expressions that you normally get yeah. in Cinema Verite. And that's almost gone. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of times they're wearing masks and goggles and you really can't read what the character's thinking as they're doing their job yeah. in the field. So suddenly, you know, we're not being on really big interviews at, at just as filmmakers. I like to show, not tell uh, as much as possible. But really, these interviews have become much more essential Pretty critical. to our film. Yeah, yeah. That's a different storytelling that we don't normally, you know, uh-huh. we don't usually employ in the way that other filmmakers do. And yeah. now we're just like, you know, it's really, really nice to feel the person as they are under the mask. And it almost feels just more special yeah. than it ever has when, when, when they're, when they're sort of naked 
and, and talking to you. So that's a real, that's a different storytelling, um, you know, device that we're employing a lot more than we have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, another gentleman and I are out shooting a project as well. And our subject, of course, we're using the 70 to 200 as well, keeping our distance. You know, you can be pretty far if you're on the 50 as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can use portrait lenses. Yeah. But for Verite, yeah, we're mostly on, on longer lenses. On the longer lens. So we've been using that for our interviews, in particular with, with our main subject. And he's not wearing a mask. And there was an interesting moment a couple of weeks ago where and it was a very kind of honest, heartfelt moment where he's just like, would you guys, would you mind taking your mask off? You know, would you guys, would you guys be okay with that? And it was for him, it was this, look, I, I'm being vulnerable here. I want to continue that connection with you. This is understandably so, right? This is the way that we can do that. Have you guys run into that at all, Heidi? I think that some of our subjects might prefer that. Yeah. Um, our protocol is very specific. You say you're not um, doing it. I, I won't. I, we, we were um, a 95 mask when we were in the presence of anyone. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't be able to agree to that because, you know, I have to, I have to be the leader of my crew. Yep. And um, I can't like, you know, we had one person who didn't want to be tested. He, he doesn't believe in the test and yeah. he doesn't want to share. He doesn't want his data to be recorded or whatever. Right. And he can't, he's off the project. He yeah. Can't work with it. yeah. Uh, I can't make any exceptions for testing or for protocol. Um, if somebody wants to be, to be quarantined after a shoot, I'll pay for the hotel room. They don't have a place to go. Oh, wow. We're, we're doing full quarantines. Yeah. Uh, you get a test on day seven that we provide so that mm. you can cut quarantine in half because you can, you know, the virus will show up. What we know of the virus is that it'll definitely show up by then or mostly will show up by then. Right. wants quarantine for longer than that. So we're, we have protocols in place. Yeah. And I just don't deviate from them. And I understand why a person would want that. And, yeah. they, and if they want to be interviewed in the mask, you know, we'll also do that as well. Right. Before all of our characters have wanted to do an interview and we're comfortable without the mask. And partly it's because, you know, we're at such a distance and, you know, we're taking these, these precautions. Well, hearkening back to your mention that the resources that, that, that you have the opportunity to have, or you have the fortune to have, how are you, how do you have such access to testing in this way? Well, we've tried everything. I mean, we're, we're, you know, uh, we did first we started with like what everybody else did the city md and then and then these tests became like you couldn't get a result back so yeah. that it wasn't tenable because you want to be able to get tested right before a shoot and, and then after a shoot so um it didn't work out anymore so then we tried we were doing the lab core pixel test which is fedex uh, insurance also pays for it and uh, the results come back in 48 hours okay. the fedex you test you do your own swab and then you send them back the same day we were getting results in 48 hours um, apparently now that's gotten to five days. Now we have, um, we've bought 200 blood tests, um, that, um, are, that they test for active antibodies. Mm. Um, and those don't, uh, those aren't reliable until day seven. So, um, basically, you know, on the, after seven days, we start counting after we land from an airplane or after our shoot ends, okay. when we get home, you start counting. That's your first day. Yeah. The, the next day. So, um, and we have those at the, at the company here. Okay. So, um, you know, 
I don't even know. I, I honestly, I are all the are, are these tests 100% accurate? All of these tests, and even the one we're taking. I mean, yeah, there's I mean, all there's that too. Yeah. I don't want to pretend mm-hmm. like I'm some kind of, you know, we're doing everything. We do all the research we can. Yeah. Um, and we try to find, you know, the tests that are the most reliable. So as we wrap up here, Heidi, I'm wondering, is there anything that we have missed that you would think, Chris, you know what? Documentary filmmakers need to know about this while you're out filming during this time. I I think that, you know, you can't be too careful. You have to listen. I, I, I have gotten to a point where if, you know, before COVID, you know, if there was maybe potential for a scene to be interesting, I would, I'll stick around. I'll stick around for many hours um, you know, let's see where this goes, but I've been doing this for so long. You know, I was in Florida and, and there was a scene happening inside of a coffee shop and, um, the journalists we were covering were, were assigned to go to this coffee shop. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, it was a specific reason they were going, but, and we walked in, it was really, really loud. There was no ventilation. Mm. And I knew immediately this was not going to work for a film it was too off topic yeah. um so instead of saying hey let's hang around and see where it goes i said we're, we're, we're gonna we're going outside yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I i removed my crew because i'm not going to like mess around with like maybes i have enough experience to know that this is not going to be a scene in the film it's it's too off topic yeah. you yeah. know we we waited for the journalists outside um in the fresh air yeah uh because i can't put people at risk um, unnecessarily, I'm, it's, we're already taking a risk. Yeah. So I'm making much more specific calls. When I have a scene, um, you know, we'll we'll leave. Yeah. You know, when, when I, when I, when we're not going to overcover it. Like I'm really looking at everything much more surgically yeah. because I am asking people to be exposed. You know, where pe- people are being exposed. That's right. So you know, I take that very very seriously. So I'm actually making, or if it, if, if it's if it's a scene that's probably not likely going to make it. We're not filming it. We're yeah. not shooting. It. Yeah. So it's very, very, very calculated decisions, um, you know, to, to like minimize the risk and the risk, you know, yeah. uh, I would say that that's something that is, is, uh, has happened. And I also would say that I don't think this is going away anytime soon. Mm. Um, actually it's summer. You can shoot a lot of things outside right now. Yeah. That's um, the thing, right? When November happens, we're all going to be inside. It's yeah. much more dangerous. We we know some things about the virus and the virus doesn't like the air. It doesn't like to be outside. It doesn't like the wind. So honestly, like we're probably getting as much shooting as we can do. Of course. Right yeah. Summer, yeah. Because I don't know what happens in the fall. I don't know if we'll be able to, or want to, or should we enter people's homes yeah. with windows shut? Yeah. I really don't know. So, uh, you know, I kind of think for me, it's catch as catch can right now. Yeah. And I would assume this is going to go on for a long time. Right. So I think filmmakers should start figuring out their protocols because this could go on for years. So I, I, I don't, I think you, 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 we're waiting for what we're waiting for a vaccine, but I don't, we can't assume the vaccine is going to be, you know, we're going to have you know 6 billion people or we're all going to be um, vaccinated by January or February. I would assume it's going to go on for another year at least yeah. and start, start building your protocols and start making a plan if you want to make films. Heidi, this is exactly what I was hoping for. Thank you so much for this. It's very valuable information and uh, it's going to help a lot of people. And I'll tell you what, best of luck out there for all of us. I think your words are going to help us. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much. And may the goddess bless all documentary filmmakers and keep us healthy and safe and sane right now. All right. Because I love the community so much. So thank you for doing this. Heidi Ewan, thank you so much. Have a great night. My pleasure. Don't forget, we'd love to have you join us in the Documentary Academy. Come and take a look at how we can help you make your best documentary film at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. That's thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.